tonight. Everybody okay? Hey, the air conditioning's working. I really hope that guy's in heaven because I really want to thank him when I get there. <laughs> uh, thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've tuned in tonight as we uh, have our midweek service, and we're going to go ahead and open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we, wanna, we, we will pray with you as well. Let's do pray. Uh, again, continue praying for our nation. Uh, pray for revival uh, in our land. Uh, let's also pray for rain. Uh, it is really, really dry and hot and uh, anything else, you, any other adjective you can throw at it. But uh, uh, let's, uh, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, tonight we are, again, grateful to be able to come together. And Lord, thank you that we live in a, a nation that allows us to be able to come together and assemble like this and lift up your name, study your word, Lord, fellowship together. Father, for that, we are so grateful. And I thank you, uh, Lord, for all the reminders around us of your providential care and your sovereignty over all things. I pray tonight as we begin this service, Lord, we, we do so, Lord, as the hands were raised, signify needs tonight. Lord, I thank you that you're able to meet every need that we have tonight, no matter what's going on, uh, how, what the situation is. Lord, I pray for those that need a healing touch tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray you extend your hand of healing. And that, Lord, you will touch the, those bodies and the, those that are sick. Lord, I pray for those that are watching online tonight. Lord, maybe they're not feeling very well. Uh, Lord, those may be in the hospital tuned in tonight or a rehab center or maybe a nursing home tonight that have tuned in. I pray that you would fill that place where they are with your presence. And I pray, God, that you would uh, just work on their behalf. I pray for those that are discouraged tonight, that you would encourage them. I pray, Father, for those that need a financial miracle. Uh, Lord, you're our provider. I pray your provision would be seen in our lives, Lord, and I pray for those that, uh, Lord, just need a, uh, guidance. Lord, you said that you would guide us into all truth, and I, I pray that, uh, Lord, we would sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, for all the ministries that are taking place on the campus tonight, I pray that you would be exalted and lifted high in all things. I pray, Father, for our land, our nation. Lord, we pray that you would heal uh, our, our, our nation, Lord, bring revival as we repent, Lord, and, and acknowledge how far from you we've remo removed ourselves. I ask God that you would just, again, blow up on the embers of our heart, stir and fan into flame that which is within. Bless our time together tonight and our study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me once again to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. While you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Um, uh, Sunday, two things on Sunday. Number one, we're, I'm going to kick off a brand new series this Sunday uh, that I've been talking about, Hot Topics for Hot Times. Uh, this is, uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the current issues that are facing our society, and we're going we're gonna to look at it through the lens of God's Word. Um, because how many understand it? We, it really doesn't matter what our opinion is. His opinion is the one that matters. And so we want to look at several hot-button issues today in light of what the Scripture teaches us. Um, and so my first message this coming Sunday is going to be on the authority of the Bible. Because I don't believe that the Bible is, has authority in my life, and it really doesn't matter what views I hold beyond that. So we're going to talk about and establish the foundation of what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Also this Sunday is baptism day. So if you know someone uh, that needs to be baptized, we have a makeshift sign-up sheet at the hub. Uh, you can email us, call us, uh, or sign up. 
but we are going to do baptism service in the 1045 service on Sunday. Now, we are going to go back to the two services, the 830, Sunday school at 945, and uh, the 1045. So make note of that. Also, I was wrong, but a week from tomorrow, I said the food distribution is tomorrow. It's next week. So next Thursday, the 14th, is our monthly food distribution at the Yellow Jacket Stadium. So uh, I'm praying for a nice cool shower before then. Uh, yeah, you got to watch out for what you pray for because if it does rain, that humidity is going to shoot right through the roof. And uh, anyway, but uh, so again, we're we're kind of gearing up. VBS is coming up here in in, in a couple of weeks, and uh, everybody getting ready for back to school. Can you imagine? We're already talking about back to school. Some of the teachers are like hush your mouth. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. We're we're in our study, Ruth. Uh, we're in the book of Ruth, a story of redeeming love, a story of redeeming love. This is a beautiful story. How many of you really have enjoyed uh, this, this teaching over the last couple of weeks? Uh, remember I said that Ruth is the story that Benjamin Franklin used way back when, when he came across some French aristocrats who made fun of the Bible. And so he took the story of Ruth, he changed the names to French names, and they thought it was some of the most beautiful story, a beautiful story that they had ever heard. And it came right out of the scriptures of which they were making fun of. So it's a beautiful story, but it's more than just a beautiful story. It's more than, it's not just, it's not a romance story. Again, the hero of the book of Ruth is the unseen hand of God, who's working behind the scenes working everything out. According to what Paul said, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, Now we know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We may not see it, but God is working and orchestrating his master plan uh, for us even right now. So let's get right into it. We're going to be talking about grace. Um, I'm not going to read. I'll I'll make reference to the entire passage tonight, but I'm I'm going to read just a couple of verses. Begin number 4, Ruth chapter 2, verse number 4. It says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, Who was in charge of the reapers? Who's, uh, then Boaz said, Let me get that right. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. And we'll just stop there. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. We'll stop there. But like I said, I'll make reference uh, tonight uh, through, uh, through verse 18. So we'll kind of get that all set up. So, so when we left the story last week, when we closed out last week, one of the things I tried to get you to see is that uh, you, you could tell that the atmosphere was about to change. Uh, when we left, you could see the plan of God unfolding before their eyes. Now, remember, you and I are reading this as history. They are, re- they are living this on a day-by-day basis. So it's a big difference. Because remember, when Naomi and Ruth came back to Bethlehem, they uh, they, they had gone, Elimelech had taken Ruth, uh, excuse me, Naomi and her sons went to Moab, which number one was a violation of God's word. He told them not to have anything to do with them. Anyway, he thought it was a good idea. Ten years later, she comes back. 
She's a widow. Her two sons have died, and she's with her daughter-in-law who said, I will go where you go. I'll live where you live. I'll, your people be my people. Your God will be my God. I'll die where you die. So she comes back, and they come back. And remember, when Naomi comes back into Bethlehem, again, it was a tiny village. When she comes back into Bethlehem, the people are surprised to see her, uh, and they make a comment. They call her Naomi. Now, the word Naomi in Hebrew means pleasant one. Remember? But she doesn't feel pleasant at all because she went away. In fact, that's what she said. You can read it in chapter 1. She said, I went away full. I came back empty. And she placed it all at God's feet. He did this to me. So she said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter because she had lost everything. Uh, Again, they're coming in. They're widows. Uh, Again, if you know anything about that culture of that time, women didn't have many rights at all. Um, so they're widows. Uh, and, and if you want to complicate, now think about it. The story of Ruth, uh, let me just say it like this. The story of Ruth has been quite depressing so far, at least from their perspective. Again, as we close chapter 1, you could, again, sense that the atmosphere was changing And again, for us uh, reading this, we are reading it in history, in historical context. But for Naomi and Ruth, this is a day-by-day thing. And so last week, we looked at the providence of God, the providence of God and how God orchestrated even the smallest details of our life. So notice when they get back to Jerusalem in chapter 2, it begins by letting us know that it's harvest time in Bethlehem. So, So think about that. They're coming back. If there are two widows who had no source of income, didn't know where they were going to stay, didn't know where they are going to live, how they are going to survive, didn't have any of that knowledge, God had already provided because it was harvest time when they got back. That's a pretty significant point there. See, God had been working behind the scenes through every difficulty Naomi had endured. Uh, and when she arrived back in Bethlehem, again, it was harvest time. She didn't see that. She didn't see how God was, was orchestrating all of these minor details and yet all of these minor details, all she knew was that she went away with a husband and two, two sons, and she's coming back with no husband, no sons, and one daughter-in-law. That's all she knows. Uh, but she, I told you, she was a bruised believer. Nowhere in Scripture do we have any indication that she gave up, that she abandoned her faith. I think, in fact, theologically, she was very sound because, again, if we understand the providence of God and the sovereignty of God, God is over everything. God never allows anything to, if he comes to me, it's got to go through him first. That's what we talk about when we, when we talk about the providence of God. Tony Evans, Dr. Evans says that, uh, that God either causes all things or he allows all things. So nothing gets here. She can't see that. So she's a bruised and wounded believer and she's upset, and she comes back, and, but yet you and I reading this, we can see. Uh, again, Naomi knew that when, it, when she came back to Bethlehem, she understood how difficult it would be to survive as a widow. And then if you throw Ruth in the mix, now that is compounded because not only are there two mouths to feed, she's a foreigner. She's a foreigner and a widow. So that greatly compounds the whole situation of what Naomi's going through. Again, I'm sure Naomi probably worried about how would they eat and what about the necessities, how would we survive, and yet when they arrive home, again, it's harvest time. I mean, you, again, just take a look at it. It's God is setting them up. 
I've often said, I don't believe in setbacks. I believe in setups. And what you see here is a divine setup. Again, we have the, we have the privilege of history looking back. But God is setting them up. See, sometimes when we go through the ringer, so to speak, in life, we look at it as a very difficult process, and it is. But God often sets us up through the hardships of life for something even greater. Ruth, uh, again, uh, God has paved the way for them to be sustained, and he's revealing himself. And I want you to see this. This is one of the revelations of who God is in the Old Testament. God is revealing himself through this story as Jehovah Jireh, the providing God. They come in as widows. They have no resources. They have nothing uh, to, to call their own, and yet God is already orchestrating the events of how he would provide their sustenance and how they're going to live. Ruth is sitting with Naomi, and so in our text tonight as we begin, Ruth asked Naomi to go and glean in the fields, and as the text says, and I'm, I pointed this out last week the, the, in, in the first three verses, it said she just so happened to be gleaning in the fields of Boaz. Isn't that amazing? She just happened to be in his fields. Again, I don't believe there are any coincidences of God. I think God, again, set them up. She's gleaning. So she asked to go and glean, uh, and she happens to glean in the fields of Boaz, Boaz, who is a relative of Elimelech. Now, we see how God begins to meet their needs through this unlikely hero named Boaz. Now, who is Boaz? Well, Boaz was a prosperous man. He was a man of noble character. Uh, he was a very successful man, um, and he had fields there near Bethlehem. You know, some people have commented that when you read the book of Ruth, it ought to be called, uh, it could have just as well be called the book of Naomi because she occupies a lot of that story. It's about Naomi, uh, and it's true, but you could also call it the book of Boaz because he shines very brightly in this dark story or this depressing story. Um, if we made a list of, I mean, think about this. If we, you and I started calling about, if we started naming names of who we thought was some of the great men of the Bible, who would it be? We would say people like David. We'd probably say something like the Apostle Paul. Somebody like Abraham, Noah, people like that, Elijah, Elisha. Boaz should be considered on that list too. Because what Boaz does and what he exemplifies for us is, not, is, is nothing short of, of miraculous. So let's look at what Boaz does, how God uses this man to meet the needs and to, again, they had no idea. Naomi, when she, I said this last week, Naomi had no idea when they made their way back to Bethlehem. Again, she said, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. God has taken away. God, I've, I've left full. I've come back empty. She had no idea of knowing that one day she'd be holding in her arms the grandfather of the great King David. She has no idea that Ruth, the Moabitess woman, would be in the lineage of the Son of God. She has no way of knowing that. She's just living day by day. But God is working as he always does. I love the song that says he never stops. He never stops working, and that's what he's doing. So, so let's look at how God used him. First of all, uh, first of all, he finds the outcast. Okay, so we're talking about grace. So he finds the outcast. Look at verse 4. It says, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Now, now I I, uh, words matter. How many believe that? 
Words matter. I told you last week that there are no fillers in this story. Every word in this story is significant and it means something. Every detail matters. So, so the first words spoken oftentimes are indicative of a person's character. So notice this. In this case, Boaz comes up and he greets his employees, if you will, and says, the Lord be with you. So what do we learn from that? Well, number one, we learn that Boaz is a godly man who cared about the spiritual needs of his workers. Again, that's why we say he was a godly man, a man of character, a noble man. He goes on in verse number five, and he, Boaz asks his servant who is in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the, the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvester? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except she rested a little while in the shelter. So, so here's the thing. When Boaz asked whose woman is this or whose young woman is this, what he's wanting to know, he wants to know who she is and what family she comes from. Because, it's, because it does matter. I mean, the rest of the story hinges on this. He knows about Ruth, okay, but he's never met her until this moment. Word had spread about this young woman that came from Moab with Naomi and how loyal she was and how she loved Naomi and how she committed to Naomi. So, so undoubtedly, he had heard about her. He had never met her until this moment. In writing about Ruth, J. Vernon McGee, Here's what he said. I love, I love this. Uh, he points out that nowhere in the story, and I never really thought about this until I read his quote uh, or what he was talking about. He said, nowhere in this story do you ever have a physical description of Ruth. You ever thought about that? You don't see a physical description of Ruth. There's no emphasis put on her outward appearance. We don't know her height. We don't know her hair color. We don't know anything about her eye color. Uh, we don't know anything about any part of her body. We don't know anything about her other than who she was. I find that very interesting. You know, the Bible emphasizes her character qualities, not her looks. Again, I think that's pretty significant. See, and, and here's the thing. Every picture I've ever seen of Ruth, you know what? She's a She's a, she's a beauty. Every picture I've ever seen depicting Ruth, she's a beautiful lady. But the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Doesn't describe her. Doesn't, talk, doesn't say anything about it. Um, you know, it, again, it's not mentioned in the Bible. As the story unfolds, and one of the reasons that's important, we'll see that Boaz is attracted to the, by the kind of woman she is, not her physical appearance. How many talked about, how many's ever heard that beauty... Uh, is only skin deep. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. He said, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. <laughs> there are some people that are motivated by the outward facade. I've met some beautiful people who is, who is ugly on the inside. Their personality, their character, their honor, they, they may have had outward beauty, but they, outward beauty, but they were... They were, what did, what did Jesus one time say? They were full of dead men's bones. They were, they were just something else. See, it's important because Boaz is not, listen, he doesn't go to his fields looking for a bride. He's not looking for a date. 
when he goes out there and he sees this woman, he said, whose woman, whose young woman is that? Again, he's not, he's not saying that because he's interested in having a relationship with her. That's not it at all. You see, Boaz is attracted by the kind of woman she is, not her physical appearance. Elizabeth Elliot uh, put it like this. I love, I love the way she, she said this. She said, the fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. But the fact that I am a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. I thought that was pretty good. Let me read that again. The fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I am a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. Verse 8, he goes on and he said, Boaz said to Ruth, and, and notice how he addresses her. And this is, this is where you can see another uh, facet of who he is. He said, listen, my daughter. My daughter, what comes, when, when you think about a, so, so like my, my, my daughter, you think of someone who protects, a father who protects, who watches out, who cares for. That's kind of where you see this going. Listen, my daughter, not, notice what he says. Don't go and gather grain in any other field, and don't leave this one. Stay, stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Now, again, in this text twice, it's important, two times mentions that Ruth is a Moabite. Two times. She's an outsider. She's a stranger. She's an immigrant. And in a sense, she's a refugee, Okay. As, as the saying go, goes, she's not from around here. You ever listen to somebody talk and, and say, you're not from around here, are you? That's kind of what was going on here. I mean, Bethlehem was a tiny village where everyone knew everyone else, which meant they knew that she wasn't from around. You're not from these parts, are you? The Moabite language was different. It was different enough that every time she opened her mouth, somebody would say, where are you from? You don't sound like you're from around here. Again, if you've ever gone to a different place, I remember Pat uh, Martin. Anybody remember Sister Pat from Georgia? Boy, she had that Georgia twang going. It was so beautiful here. I was looking for Jan Marie. She's not here tonight. Jan, if you're, Jan Marie, if you're watching me, I love her main accent. I used to pick at them all the time about she'd come in a car. Like, what's a car? That's going on with, with Ruth. She's not from around here. When Ruth volunteered to go be the gleaner, again, you got to understand what she was doing. She was signing up for hard labor. You know, they didn't have combines and things like we do today. I mean, this was back-breaking work. I mean, it meant constantly bending over to retrieve the, the few stalks of barley that had been left by the harvesters. So it was back-breaking work. The foreman reported to Boaz, and again, notice what kind of woman she is, because the foreman says to Boaz, hey, she's been here all morning. She has worked hard since early and only taken a break just for a moment. Again, you think of Proverbs 31 woman who is industrious and active and working. That's, that's her. See, from a, from a human standpoint, her prospects were bleak. She and Naomi were both widows uh, at the same time and place uh, where widowhood uh, would put you in a very desperate situation. That's where she is. As a young woman, she faced danger uh, of, of men following her in the field. 
Again, you can see what Boaz's his mindset of trying to protect her said, look, I've ordered the men not to touch you. Stay with the female servant. Stay with the, the female staff and, 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 and stay right here. What is he doing? He said, hey, I want to protect you. I want to watch over you. Again, it was possible because she was a foreigner and a widow, it was possible for there to be abuse or even worse. So Boaz says, you know what? Stay in my field. Stay in my field. And he ordered the young men, don't you touch her. I, I kind of suspect that when Boaz said, don't touch her, they probably got the message and <laughs> said, yes, sir. Again, notice the proof of his welcome. In that verse, he says, drink from the jars the young men have filled. Well, that's, that's kind of significant. As a woman, in that culture with very few rights, it would have been her job to fill the water pots for the men. But he says, drink from the pots that the men have filled. Kind of leads to the second thing. He goes after the outcast, he favors the weak. Verse number 10. Verse number 10 says, She fell down, she fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Verse 13, she goes on and she says, My Lord, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. Again, twice Ruth mentions the word favor in this passage. And what does that mean? It means to be gracious. It means to be gracious, to show an unexpected kindness. Twice she says that. As far as Ruth was concerned, the fact that Boaz would even notice her was a gift of grace that she didn't deserve. Do you see where the story's going now? She didn't deserve what he did for her. She acknowledged that. Again, after all, she's a foreigner. Every day in a thousand ways, she's reminded that she's not from these parts and that she didn't come from Bethlehem. She was an outcast, and, and she deserved nothing at all. Why should a man like Boaz pay any attention to her? Well, verse 11 and 12, Boaz answered and said, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law, see? Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Again, Boaz had heard about her kindness to Naomi. Again, the village probably heard about it. Everyone did. Notice how he puts it. He said, look, you left your parents you left your land, and you came to a people that you didn't even know. The, the implication is this, okay? You've committed yourself. This is, where, this is what this means. You've committed yourself to the God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Having left the Moabite idolatry, Ruth now trusts in the God of Israel. So now, there's, now she's on the plane spiritually with the children of Israel. She's not one from birth, but by choice now she becomes one. She is under his wings, okay, which is the safest place she could be. Knowing her desperate need, God arranges things so that under his wings she finds both food 
and family, which leads to the third thing. He feeds the hungry. He feeds the hungry. Verse 14 says, At mealtime, Boaz told her, Come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. (laughs) Sounds appetizing, right? So she sat beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. Now, if you've ever been to the Middle East, uh, hospitality is deeply embedded. Even now, uh, it's deeply embedded in in that culture. Uh, I was amazed the first time I ever went to to Israel how hospitable the people were, uh, offering you something to drink or a snack or what. I mean, they just were very cordial. Uh, and it was, it was just an interesting thing. And, one, and, and so in one sense, Boaz is simply showing, a, a, showing kindness to a young woman in need. But if you go deeper than that, you realize he's doing something remarkable. Again, Ruth is only 85 verses. And the word Moab and Moabite appears 11 times. So basically, the writer is trying to say, hey, look, she's not from here. Okay. You need to know her background if you want to understand the story, and if you want to understand grace, you need to know she's a foreigner, she's estranged, she's not from here, and she's desperately lost. That's kind of the message. She belongs to a nation that is hostile to Israel. Again, you say, well, where did the hostility come from? Well, the Jews had a long memory of that antagonism, that, that antagonistic relationship between the Moabites and the Israelites. Um, in their eyes, the Moabites were the dreaded pagans from the mountainous range east of the Dead Sea. Why? Well, see, but you go back to the Old Testament in Numbers, and you'll find a story that will tell you why. See, they remembered back in the day, Numbers chapter 25, when, when they couldn't defeat the Israelites, so they concocted this plan where that the Moabite women would go in and seduce the Jewish men, and led them into idolatry and immorality. As a result of this, you can read Numbers chapter 5, as a result of this dastardly plan, God sent a plague to Israel that killed 24,000 people. You You don't forget something like that. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, here's what the Lord says. No Ammonite or Moabite, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. How's that for being very, again, that's why I'm saying when Elimelech decided to take his family to Moab, he did it against the word of the Lord. He did it against the word of the Lord. I mean, I don't think God could be any clearer. He said, look, don't you dare bring a Moabite into the assembly of the Lord, not even their descendants for ten generations. His people were to have nothing to do with the Moabites. Don't live among them. Don't marry them. Don't follow their gods. Don't invite them to worship with you. Don't do it. So I know what you're thinking because at this point in the story, I mean, it appears that Boaz has decided to ignore the warnings, right? I mean, on the surface, that kind of is what it looks like. I mean, you couldn't get any clearer than that. Hey, don't do anything with the Moabites. And yet Boaz is saying, hey, drink from the jars of my men servants, come and sit at the table, eat my food. Seems like he's ignoring the warnings. Again, I think it's an amazing thing that he would allow Ruth to drink water alongside his male workers. That's shocking, but now not only does he allow her to drink the water, he allows her to sit at the table and, and, and eat with them. Now, this story, what does it teach us? It really reveals something significant about the heart of God. 
and that is this. He welcomes all who come to him with sincere faith. That's what this story teaches. That's why the Bible says, whosoever will, let him come. That's why Peter said, God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. Why? Because anyone with sincerity, a sincere faith, God welcomes them. God welcomes them. He goes a step further and he says, Ruth, you can sit at my table and eat with my men. Find a place and eat all the roasted grain that you want. Kind of sounds a lot like grace, right? Just lavish. Just take your fill. We used to sing that song, here's my cup, Lord. Fill it up. You see what's going on here? Fill it up. The Bible says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Fill it up. That's what he's telling her. Now, eating together suggests what? It suggests friendship, support, and shared values. Friendship, support, and shared values. So Boaz, again, he's a wise man. He understood the significance of a shared meal. Listen, it's one thing for somebody to come up and say, hey, um, you know, you used to could give them $2 and say, go to McDonald's. <laughs> I don't think you can get a cup of water for $2 anymore. Uh, you know, it's one thing to walk up to somebody and say, hey, here's 20 bucks. Go get you something to eat. As generous as that might be, that's a whole lot different than saying, you know what? Why don't you come home and have dinner with me and sit at my table? That's different. Right? I mean, the first one says, let me supply your need. And the second one says, let me make you part of my family. There's a big difference. I mean, it's, it's easy to hand out cash and say, hey, go get you something to eat. But it's a whole different matter to say, come and sit at my table and fellowship with me. It's a whole different thing. See, in that culture, again, a woman would be the one preparing and serving the meal to the men. And if she was not related uh, to them, she would wait until they were finished. And then it would be her turn to eat if there was anything left. But here she is, a foreigner, a widow at that, who instead of serving, is being served and eating with the men at the table. He goes on, verse 14. says, when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Now listen to what he does. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. In other words, here's what he said. Hey, every once in a while while you're gathering, will not you reach in the bag and throw some out? Won't you take some handfuls and throw it out for? Her? What a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful story. Again, this is where this is what grace looks like. That's what this lesson is about tonight. This is what grace looks like up close and personal. Boaz does something that Ruth never asked for and never even imagined. He says to his workers, "Hey, throw down handfuls on purpose for her." That, the phrase from the King James Version gives you a picture of that beautiful grace. Men, not only do I want you to leave some, some for the gleaners in the field, but I want you to take some stalks of the barley, and on purpose, I want you to toss them aside for Ruth so that she can have food to take home to Naomi. 
This is grace at its best. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. See, Boaz intends to do more than meet her need. He wants to make sure Ruth is abundantly blessed and has more than what she needs. That's a picture of God's grace. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. That's grace. Verse 17 says, So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Grace not only supplies what we need, but there's grace in abundance that pours out to others. You can take this in many different angles if you want to. I, I truly believe that God raises us up to be blessings to others. See, there's some people that are there. There's some people that live their lives as reservoirs, and they're like, "God, pour into me, pour into me," but they don't pour out to anybody else. Again, one of the things that I was amazed in Israel is that the Dead, the Sea of Galilee, is is where we first went, which is up north in the north country. And when you drive down south and you get to the Dead Sea, I was always amazed that the same the headwaters that feed the Sea of Galilee is the same headwater that runs into the Dead Sea. Yet one is beaming with life, the other one is the Dead Sea. Why? Because the Sea of Galilee has outlets, tributaries. It's coming in, but it's going out. But the Dead Sea is a reservoir that takes it all in, and there's no outlet for it to go. See, that's the way we can live our lives. We can experience the blessings in favor of God, and we can soak it all in, it could be our, and we can be a reservoir, or we can be like Boaz and say, you know, just, just get it through me. If you'll get it to me, you can get it through me. Two things are happening here in this text. First, the Bible says she carries home a ephah of barley, which would, which would amount to about 30 to 40 pounds. So another thing about Ruth, she probably had to be in great shape. <laughs> 30, 40 pounds. Again, second thing, she also brought the leftover roasted grain from the table of Boaz. So, so it's kind of like going to a, your favorite restaurant, eating your fill, and then taking the rest home to share with your family. That's what she was doing here. This is truly above and beyond grace to Ruth and Naomi. Ruth had come to dwell under the wings of Almighty God. She experienced the protection by gleaning in the fields of Boaz. He said, don't go to these other fields. You stay right here and hang out with, again, the protection that he brought to her and he offered her. God's kindness came to her through the heart of a godly man who respected who she was and what she had done. Again, nowhere in there do you see any, any indication that he was motivated by anything other than being an honorable man and respecting what this woman had done. Again, she went to the fields not looking for a husband. He went to the fields not looking for a wife. They both intersected because God had set it up. Boaz had a heart that saw beyond. Uh, and again, the, 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 the astounding thing, of the, I can't talk tonight. The astounding part of the story, again, is ancient Israel. Most men would never have shown such kindness to a Moabite woman. Because remember, God said don't have anything to do with them. It wouldn't just happen. Boaz has a heart, the heart of God, and he saw beyond the racial differences 
He saw beyond all of that. He reached out in grace to one who did not expect anything and had no claim on him whatsoever, and yet he reached out to take care of her. Boy, could our nation and our world use a lesson like that these days. If Boaz points us to Jesus, then Ruth, the outsider, represents all of us. Think about it like that. When Paul wanted to make his point that all have sinned in Romans 3, he prefaced it in verse 22 by simply saying, for there is no difference. (laughs) There is no difference. In the deepest sense, and this is where Boaz comes in as a noble and wise man, a man of character that God used at this moment. In the deepest sense, there is no difference between the Jew and the Moabite. Boaz understood this truth even if his Jewish neighbors could not. He intended to include Ruth into his family and friends, and they probably thought he was nuts. She's a Moabite. God said not to do anything. See, that's what grace looks like. Because every one of us stands condemned by our sin. And we're all under the judgment of God. We sin in different ways, but we're sinners. Nonetheless, there is no difference. We're all in the same boat. And guess what? The boat's sinking. It's sinking. And if God doesn't do something, the whole human race will go down to destruction. Listen, if Boaz doesn't step in, Naomi and Ruth will fade off the pages of history. And we wouldn't even know about them. If he just sat there and did nothing. Boaz points us to the grace of Jesus who died to create a new race of men and women who were redeemed by his blood. If we read this story and think, man, I need to be more like Boaz, I think we missed the point. (laughs) Boaz is an admirable man for sure, and I think we ought to emulate his kindness and how we treat others, but that's not the main message. If, that, if that's what we see is that, hey, I need to be more like Boaz, then, then we're missing the message. I, I need to read the story and think of it like this. I'm just like Ruth. I'm homeless, and I'm helpless, and I'm desperate, and I'm hungry, and I have no place to go. I'm an outsider of God's grace. I have no claim on the Lord. And if God doesn't do something, I'm eternally lost. And what does he do? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, we're more like Ruth than we are Boaz. We're strangers and foreigners with no place to go and no one to turn to. And yet, what Paul said to the Galatians, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, what? To be the Boaz to us, if you will to provide what we need. And now through him, we have protection and we have life, eternal life. See, just as Boaz provided what Ruth needed but did not deserve, even so Jesus comes to us and he opens the door of heaven and he gives to us what we don't deserve. I know that flies right in the face of our entitled society, but it's the truth. It's the truth. That's why the psalmist said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? When you sit and think about this, he's a great big God in charge of all of this stuff. Without him, what does the Bible say? Without him, there is nothing made that is made. And in him, all things consist or are held together. And yet he's concerned about the hair on our head and every sparrow that falls. What is man that you are mindful of him? He came for sinners 
who had no hope of forgiveness. He came for the ungodly who hated him. He died for his enemies so that he could make them his friends. And the truth is no one today needs to perish uh, when, when the doors of heaven have been opened, when Jesus has done everything that he possibly could to redeem us, just like Ruth could do nothing but accept the kindness of Boaz. The only thing you and I can do is accept the grace that God has extended to us. That's all we can do. Can't buy it. Can't work for it. But we can receive it. We can't, again, we come with empty hands. She walked into that field with nothing. She walked into that field with prospects nil. And when she left, she had 30 to 40 pounds of what she had gleaned plus the the roasted grain that she had eaten for lunch, she left with abundance. Not just enough for her, but enough to share. That's what God does. Again, the text emphasizes, i got to hurry up. The text emphasizes that Ruth ate all she wanted, had plenty left over to take home to Naomi. Again, that's how grace works. We never run out of grace. Why? Because there's plenty more where that came from. There's plenty more where that came from. Grace comes to us like barley came to Ruth. She had all she could eat, plenty to share, and there was more on the way. That's what God's grace is like today. See, here's the thing as I close, or bring this in for a landing anyway. After the famine comes the harvest. You want a spiritual principle, this is it. See, because sometimes we, we find ourselves in a, in a famine, right? We get in a spiritual famine. After the famine comes the harvest. For 10 years, she'd been in a famine. For 10 years, she said, the Lord was against me. I would, he turned his back on me. I went away full. I came back empty. I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. But harvest time was there. See, it's still true today. Sin takes a bitter toll. But here's the truth. God has the last word. God has the last word. Sin robs us of our dignity. It destroys our joy. It leaves us hopeless and helpless. We end up hungry and alone and nowhere to turn. But then comes the harvest. (laughs) And in Christ Jesus, through him, we are fed and we are clothed and we find a home and we have a family. And he opens up his household and he says, come, my sons and my daughters. And he brings us in and we have a family. Listen, in today's society where the breakdown of the family is, is, is more pandemic than any disease there ever was. There is one family we can all belong to. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight. And through Christ, we get to be part of that family. I've stood in South Africa at a conference one time, worshiping with my, my brothers in South Africa. I stood in Cuba. With, again, language barriers, couldn't understand. But boy, when they, I, could, I understood what they were singing. I could see the joy on their face, the excitement of being able to worship Jesus. They're my brothers and they're my sisters. See, through Christ, we have that. Through Christ, we have that. I guess as I'm closing, I love what Ian Campbell says. I quote, I am saying that the fields of Boaz are full to overflowing, while the fields of Moab offer nothing nothing but loneliness, heartache, and grief. See, I get to choose which field I want to be in. I can be in the fields of Moab. Again, loneliness, heartbreak, disaster, catastrophe. 
or I can be in the fields of Boaz where there's plenty. We used to sing that song, Come and Dine. Anybody remember that? Come and dine, the master called it, come and dine. See, that's Boaz's field. I can pull up a table, at, I can pull up a chair at the master's table, and I can dine, and I can feast. And not just sit there to stuff myself, but I have plenty to share with other people. That's the story of Boaz. Whatever we need, we find in Christ, who is greater than Boaz. Again, Boaz is a great story, and again, a type of Christ. Because Ruth, and a Ruth is like us. She's a type of us, all, all people who are lost, lost our way, no, not part of the family, estranged, but welcomed by Boaz. That's grace. So what I say to the church, let's preach this bountiful grace that offers hope to everyone. See, every institution of man right now has let us down. I don't care what, where you turn, just about every institution of man has let us down. They made promises that they could not keep. But there's one place that the bounty overflows, and that is through Jesus Christ. Don't you stand with me tonight? My question is, where are you gleaning tonight? What field are you in? If you're online tonight, I'm, I want to ask you that question. What field are you in? What are you gleaning tonight? Oh, this story, we got a couple more weeks in this story, uh, in the story of Ruth, and it, it, it's getting good. Because I hope you can see what he's doing. Again, we, we started out in chapter 1. It was a very depressing chapter. You see a lady full of life and her family, and they move off to take care. Again, not a. we probably would have done the same thing. They were in a famine in Bethlehem. They had to go find a place where there was, Elimelech wanted to take care of his family. Who could fault him? And yet in that place, they lost everything. So oftentimes there are things that pull us away. And if we're uncareful, we can be in Moab. We stay there. We, he never intended to stay there. Remember, that was the first lesson we talked about. He never intended to stay permanently in Moab. He just was mitigating what they were going through. But he stayed one day too long. And they come back and they're bruised and they're wounded believers. They have no hope. They feel like the world's against them. feel like God's against them. And unbeknownst to them, the unseen hand of God is working all of this. You see, when they got back in the land, it was harvest time. God had already set them up. And I guess what I'm saying tonight is we have a choice. I can, I can harvest, I can glean in the fields of Boaz or Christ. Or I can stay in the fields of Moab, they're empty. They're promises made, but they're not promises kept. But in Christ, I have all that I need. Won't you bow with me if you're online tonight? Two things. Number one, maybe here, maybe here tonight, maybe you're online, and, 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 and maybe you have experienced some famine spiritually. And right now, to be honest, you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I don't I don't really know. I don't, I don't. I kind of, I, I kind of relate to Naomi. I went away full, 
You know, there was a time I had this vibrant relationship with the Lord, and man, things were things were happening. I I could hear His voice. I could discern what it, the Spirit was saying. But man, I just I got stuck in Moab. There were promises made, but there was but they didn't keep them. And I've come back, but I just I don't know. Listen, if that's you, then you need to know that God's been working without your knowledge to set you up for harvest time. So if you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I, uh, I've stayed in Moab too long. It's, I'm coming back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. I'm coming back. I'm getting out of the land of famine. I'm coming back to the house of bread, the land of plenty. Maybe you're gleaning tonight, but you're gleaning in the wrong fields. How many tonight would just, anybody here tonight and online would say, you know, Pastor, pray for me and close it. I want to glean in the right fields. I want to find everything I need, not out there, not in some other place. I want to find my, my in Him I live and move and have my very being. I want to find it in Christ. I want Him to be my source and supply. But nobody looking around, that's you just slipping in right, right back down. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Listen, there's, how, there's bread. There's bread in his house. There's a table that's been prepared, and the master's bidding come and die. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, thank you again for this beautiful story. Lord, I thank you for just the, just the nuances of this incredible story that we're seeing unfold right before our eyes. Again, we get to read it as history. And even then, we rejoice in how incredible uh, it is and how you're working unseen behind the scenes, setting them, up, setting them up for something spectacular. Lord, I can only imagine them living it day by day and just being overwhelmed with your grace. What it must have been like for Ruth to tell Naomi she was going to go and glean that day, not knowing that she would end up in the field of Boaz not knowing that he would show this foreign woman such kindness to take care of her, not just take care of her, but to protect and to supply her need and lavish her with what she did not deserve as a foreigner. Lord, that's a story of grace. And each of us tonight are in that position. Lord, we receive from you what we have not deserved and cannot earn. And for that, we're grateful. And I pray tonight that Lord, the hands that went up and those that are online tonight, Lord, I pray that we would settle for ourselves right now, that everything that we need is found in you. It's not in fame and popularity, and it's not in the, in the who's who of societies. It's just in you. It's in you that we live and move and have our very being. Lord, help us to be content. Father, I pray for those that might be gleaning in the wrong field. Lord, maybe they've been working themselves to the bone, and they're, not, they're still not satisfied. They're they're, they're, they're struggling with every grain they get. Lord, in their own field. Lord, welcome them back into your field. For not only do they have enough grain for themselves, but it overflows into blessings to others. Help us to live as conduits of your faithfulness and your goodness. Now, Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight as we leave here. Lord, may we walk out knowing that, Lord, you are all that we need truly. Help us to live that way, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you give us a restful night. And should you tarry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive your word once again. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. Even now, ordain what you're going to do. 
I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. It's who you are. It's who you are.